Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard, and today is Thursday, September 1st, 2022. It's been 3,108 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 190 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, Russian military leaders are in disarray with rumors of Ukrainian counteroffensives imminent in Kharkiv and Donetsk without any evidence. Ukraine has initiative on the battlefield, and Russia is now having to respond. Second, The Russian Ministry of Defense has started an aggressive disinformation campaign about the counteroffensive and realistic expectations for a counteroffensive. The Ministry of Defense has already been forced to backtrack on false claims made on August 29th. Third, Russian forces are suffering from ammunition shortages and artillery equipment catastrophically failing, raising complaints from soldiers that requests for artillery support are going unanswered. Fourth, The risk of Russian terror attacks on civilians and civilian infrastructure in an attempt to break morale is exceptionally high and will remain so for the foreseeable future. Fifth, we continue to believe there is a significant chance that Russian forces will abandon their offensives in Bakhmut and near Avdivka and relocate those troops to Zaporizhia. The Russian Ministry of Defense made this decision in May during the campaign to capture Luhansk. Sixth, the Russian Third Army Corps is being rushed into Ukraine with detachments in Donetsk and Zaporizhia. We do not believe they will have a significant impact, as they are likely to be deployed piecemeal. And finally, not all victories on the battlefield are kinetic. Ukraine's continuous attacks on Russian ground lines of communication, or GLOCs, those are supply lines, indicate they plan to collapse Russian resistance by forcing them to consume their existing supplies. Let's get some regional updates, starting with the Kherson counteroffensive and Mykolaiv. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine has repeated its request for Ukrainian citizens not to break operational security and for the broader analyst community to not openly speculate on strategy and tactics. We will only provide a high-level overview of the situation in Kherson Oblast. At the highest level, the start of the counteroffensive is going better than our expectations. 
On July 28th, we assessed a counteroffensive in Kherson would take months. For many, the word counteroffensive conjures up images from World War II and the Battle of the Bulge in the Ardennes, or the Red Army's response to Germany's Operation Bagration near Minsk. The Ukrainian counteroffensive in Kherson will more closely resemble the United States World War II island-hopping campaign in the Pacific than the plains of Eastern Europe or the deserts of Iraq during the First Gulf War. In Kherson, the wheat fields are oceans, villages are islands, patrols and small groups of armor are destroyers and submarines, drones are the aircraft and the infamous kamikazes, and artillery positions are battleships. We confirmed the liberation of four settlements on August 30th, and we believe Ukraine has expanded on those territorial gains in two locations. Fighting is ongoing in four areas, Arkhangelsk, Olkhin, Viskopilia, south of the Kherson-Nipropetrovsk border east of Viskopilia, the bridgehead east of the Inulets River, and northwest and west of Kherson City. Operational Command South reported that targeting Russian troop concentrations, command posts, ammunition depots, and anti-aircraft systems were prioritized. They reported that the command posts for the 331st Parachute Airborne and 56th Airborne Assault Regiments were eliminated. Ammunition warehouses in the areas of Bereslav, Henichesk, and Kherson were destroyed. Ukraine continued to target critical G-locks, striking the Antonovsky Bridge, the Kohovka Bridge, and the Darivsky Bridge. Operational Command South reported that the pontoon bridge adjacent to the Dudievsky Bridge was destroyed, severing the G-lock that connects western and eastern Kherson over the Inulets River. The Ukrainian Air Force carried out 24 airstrikes, which is a significant increase from the 16 missions flown on August 30th. Multiple rocket attacks fired by HIMARS struck the Russian-controlled city of Olishki, The city has become a staging area on the east bank of the Dnipro River for equipment and personnel. The only way across is by ferry, which has become increasingly dangerous with Ukraine establishing fire control, specifically with HIMARS, over the area. Russian ammunition, command and control, and troop concentrations were attacked in Chernobyevka, Novokohovka, and Kohovka. After declaring the counteroffensive failed and over on August 29th, the Russian Ministry of Defense reported that they had fought back to regain control of lost territory. The Kremlin is in an active disinformation campaign that continues to be derided by frontline forces and in telegram channels. The claim of a need to fight back exposed that the initial report on August 29th misrepresented the situation. Daniel Basanov, a wanted war criminal and deputy minister of information for the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, complained that the Russian Ministry of Defense wasn't releasing enough pictures or videos showing battlefield successes in Kherson. He amplified the disinformation of, quote, a lot of videos on the net that confirm yesterday's failure of the armed forces of Ukraine in the Kherson direction, end quote. Many of the videos circulated in the past 48 hours among Russian channels were old, misattributed, heavily edited, or not even recorded in the Kherson region. Pentagon Press Secretary Air Force General Pat Ryder said during an August 31st media briefing, quote, 
I will say is that we are aware of Ukrainian military operations that have made some forward movement and in some cases in the Kherson region, Russian units are falling back. End quote. Our assessment here is unchanged from August 30th. You'll find it on Tuesday's episode around minute three. Let's move on to Dnipropetrovsk and northern Zaporizhia. United Nations inspectors with the International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, stayed in Zaporizhia overnight and assembled to start their trip to Enerhodar. Minutes after the convoy departed, heavy shelling of the Green Corridor started, with UN officials stating they were undeterred and will continue to the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. Russian officials have claimed that Ukraine has launched a paratrooper attack on the plant using helicopters, and a kamikaze drone allegedly hit the administration building. A quick editor's note here. The Russian Ministry of Defense has claimed they've destroyed the entire fleet of Ukrainian helicopters three times over and that they hold air superiority over Ukraine. IAEA Director General Mariano Grossi restated the team plan to stay for several days, despite protests from Russian-appointed officials. Nikopol was targeted by Russian helicopters and artillery fire in four separate strikes. The city's city council building was targeted and suffered significant damage. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers and analysts is funded by readers, listeners and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Now to the Donbass region, starting with southern Zaporizhia. There wasn't any fighting in southern Zaporizhia that we can report on without breaking operational security. Fighting in the direction of Polohi and Tokmak continued. Russian and Ukrainian forces exchanged artillery, rockets fired from multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS, and tank fire from Zelenipole to Huliapole to Orikhiv. In southwest Donetsk, the Combat Ineffective First Army Corps of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, threw itself at Ukrainian positions west of Donetsk. Fighting occurred in Avdivka, Pervomaiske, Piski, and Krasnohorivka. All four advances failed. DNR forces fought positional battles in the eastern part of Marinka, supported by the Russian Air Force, with surviving troops retreating to Oleksandrivka. They also attempted to flank Marinka from the south with a failed advance on Pobida. Russian forces launched an offensive in the area of Vodyana, attempting to advance on Volodar from the east. The attack failed, and surviving troops returned to their previous defensive positions. In Bakhmut, private military company or PMC Wagner Group, supported by the Luhansk People's Republic or LNR, continued attacks on Bakhmut, where the situation remains unchanged. The villages, towns, and cities around Bakhmut were shelled, but artillery fire was reduced compared to yesterday. Ukrainian military leaders took advantage of the lull in fighting in Solidar to rotate troops. Further south, LNR separatists continued their attempts to advance on Vesela Dolina. The attack was repulsed, and Russian forces retreated to their defensive lines. In the Svetlodarsk bulge, fighting for Kodema continued, 
with Russian forces making gains in the eastern part of the stronghold. Russian forces continued attempts to advance on Zaitseve and launched a new attack on Mayorsk. Both were unsuccessful. Our assessment in Bakhmut is unchanged from August 25th. To recap, the advance toward Bakhmut has been the most successful offensive since the Russian Ministry of Defense ended the 11-day operational pause on July 16th. Ukraine retreated from Svetlodarsk on May 24th and successfully defended the Vulkhiriska thermal power plant through July 26th. Since capturing the plant, Russian proxy forces, mainly PMC Wagner Group supported by terrorist elements of the Imperial Legion and Kadyrovites of the 141st Special Motorized Regiment, have advanced seven kilometers. It took Russian forces 90 days, accounting for terrain, to advance 12 kilometers from Svetlodarsk. The advance to capture Bakhmut has likely reached its culmination point, with Russian combat power exhausted in the region. Before the arrival of HIMARS and improved GLOC interdiction, Russian military leaders would saturate the region with artillery and rocket fire and win an attritional battle. Due to excessive use and deferred maintenance, Russian artillery systems are wearing out. Ammunition supplies are becoming an issue theater-wide, although the issue is relative. Even at 40% of the peak daily fire rate in late June, the quantity of artillery fired remains significant and greater than Ukraine's capabilities. A key difference from late June is that Russian artillery firepower is no longer concentrated on a single axis, such as Luhansk. According to data analysis by Ragnar Gudmundsson, the number of settlements targeted by Russian artillery increased from 50 on June 26th to almost 100 on August 12th. Fewer artillery pieces, fewer shells, spread over a larger area. Russian forces could capture Bakhmut and Solidar before the arrival of Rasputitsa, also known as mud season, but it will require reallocating artillery pieces and military units from other axes. There wasn't any significant ground fighting in northeast Donetsk and Luhansk. The settlements around Siversk were shelled, and there were airstrikes on Spirna, Ivanodarivka, and Ryurivka. Our assessment here is unchanged from August 18th. To recap, on August 13th, we assessed there would be continued sporadic fighting in northeast Donetsk, but we did not anticipate renewed significant combat operations. The Second Army Corps of the Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, is combat ineffective and incapable of carrying out offensive operations even with the support of Russian artillery. The destruction of the command center for the Second Army Corps in Lusychansk and the PMC Wagner Group headquarters in Popazna may have degraded decision-making capabilities. We maintain that any additional fighting in this region before mud season will be positional, spoiling attacks, and probes. Moving on to the Kharkiv region, there wasn't any significant fighting along the Izum axis with only sporadic artillery fire. Russian forces are struggling with supply and personnel issues, and the failed offensive operations in the second half of August have overextended military resources. Our assessment of Izum is unchanged from August 8th. To recap, we remain unwilling to call the ongoing action by Ukrainian forces a counteroffensive. 
We maintain that Russian forces between Avdrivka and Kopanki are now in a salient and at moderate risk of encirclement if Ukrainian forces were to make a breakthrough. In northern Kharkiv, Russian forces launched an attack on Prudyanka and, in a fit of consistency, were unsuccessful. Pro-Russian accounts continue to spread rumors that Ukraine will or has restarted the counteroffensive north of Kharkiv. There was no evidence, though, to support these claims. Russia fired four Iskander-M missiles from Bilgorod toward Kharkiv, with one failing after launch, going off course, and exploding in the Bilgorod area. Ole Sinyubov, head of the Kharkiv Oblast Military Administration, reported a second missile suffered a catastrophic failure during flight. The last two landed in the Kiev district of the city. Two people were injured, and a college was damaged. Our assessment in northern Kharkiv is unchanged from August 12th. We last recapped it on the 19th, around minute 9. To the north, in the Cherniev and Sumy region, Dmitry Zhivitsky, Sumy Oblast Administrative and Military Governor, reported the settlements of Bilopilia, Shalikhin, and Kroznopilia were shelled by Russian forces firing from across the international border. About 50 mortar shells were fired, with more than half landing in Bilopilia. There weren't any injuries or significant damage reported. Russian forces fired across the international border and shelled Chai and Bleshnia in the Cherniev Oblast. Once again, there weren't any reports of serious damage or casualties. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. United States Department of State Representative John Kirby reported another military aid package would be announced for Ukraine. The statement did not include what might be provided or the value of the package. Reports of Russian artillery systems wearing out and ammunition shortages continue to grow. Andriy Morozov, mill blogger and soldier in the Russian Second Army Corps of the Luhansk People's Republic, reported that ammunition is becoming a critical issue. He additionally condemned the quality of the Russian Third Army Corps troops starting to arrive in the Donetsk area, saying, quote, I evaluate this volunteer corps, the formation of which, perhaps someday, will become a separate and large criminal case, as a too expensive attempt to populate the battlefield with convicts, end quote. Morozov reported that LNR and DNR forces ran out of 122mm artillery and had to switch to D-20 152mm artillery systems. The new systems provided by the Russian Ministry of Defense were of poor quality and already worn out. Now that the D-20 guns are failing and artillery supplies are running low again, units are forced to switch to a third system. This aligns with growing complaints in Kherson, Zaporizhia and Izum by Russian ground troops of insufficient artillery support. Despite complaints from the soldiers doing the actual fighting, Valentina Matvienko, chairwoman of the Federation Council of the Russian Federation, declared that Russia has sufficient resources to win the war with Ukraine, saying, quote, Without a doubt, we will have enough resources to secure our victory, not just material resources, but intellectual and moral, too. End quote. Gratefully, we have no significant war crimes or human rights abuses to report today. 
so we'll move right on to geopolitical news. The European Union agreed to tighten visa restrictions for Russians wanting to travel within the 27-member nation bloc and for other countries that form the Schengen area. Officials decided to freeze a 2007 agreement that simplified the visa process for Russian nationals. Students, journalists, and asylum seekers would still be able to acquire visas. Estonia and Lithuania said they would move ahead with a more restrictive ban, citing national security issues. Finland announced that the nation that shares a 1,300-mile-long border with Russia would reduce the number of tourist visas issued by 90%. In economic news, the ruble was unchanged, with an official exchange rate of 60 rubles for one U.S. dollar. Oil prices dropped again as China announced new COVID lockdowns. West Texas Intermediate fell to $89 a barrel, and Brent fell to $95 a barrel. United States RBOB wholesale gasoline plummeted 40 cents to $2.37 a gallon, or 62 cents a liter. Sharp price drops on the last day of the month are common as bargain hunters buy up expiring contracts. The price of wholesale gasoline has dropped almost $2 since it peaked on June 9th. Chicago SRW wheat futures was unchanged at 82 cents a bushel for December 2022 delivery. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.